Welcome everyone to episode 70 of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Cozella here with Nick Tartaglia. Nick, it is bright as a shiny rock outside. Um, <laughs> seems like silver and gold uh, continue to hold the fort in this crazy market. What are you seeing out there? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we definitely started the week very interestingly. The inflation numbers came out uh, last week, end of last week. And then the market obviously reacted in a way that demonstrates that we're probably entering another liquidation phase. Crypto got obliterated yesterday. I think we went, it, crypto went down, well, Bitcoin itself went down almost 20% throughout the day and just showing really a risk off behavior. And now you're getting noise and little hints of a possibility of 75 basis points uh, hike. I mean, at minimum, for sure, probably a 50, but a possibility of 75. So we're getting a little bit more of volatility shaking up right now in the market. Yeah, and there's no question. People have been speculating, have been you know running around with their pants down, right? And I think that's the other important thing, too, mm-hmm. uh, is risk management is almost non-existent uh, in the vast market. But you know this, this sell-off of what we've been seeing since the beginning of the year, God knows when it's going to end. Um, we do want to talk about technical analysis today. Uh, we also want to talk about commodities because that's what we've been really focused on. Um, and before we introduce our first guest here, Nick, I just want to ask you real quickly, um, have we hit a bottom yet? <laughs> definitely not. I don't think so. I definitely don't see another bottom. The, 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 the mindset of the market is still shaky. Uh, this looks like another possible liquidation phase most likely is the market still seems to believe that the fed can really fight inflation and in order to do that has to really push interest rate ups but that will just drive a possible recession if they don't do anything we can also possibly leads to a recession either way from the cost of living the lack of uh, spending so i don't see this as possible because geopolitical risk is still rising political uh, cultural risks are uh, chaos is rising uh, economic differences and conflictions are occurring are getting bigger and bigger so to me this is probably second probably about halfway to 70 percent of the way towards the bottom so we're still at the fear stage which i totally yeah. get um we're going to introduce somebody who's been following charts for a very long time uh, he's no stranger to what's going on, and I'm really looking forward to having him share his insight with us here today. So without further ado, uh, in 1991, he co-developed a software application recognizes the first computer program uh, to identify Japanese candlestick patterns called the, ja- the Candlestick Forecaster. Uh, in 1993, he co-authored the trading applications of Japanese candlestick charting, uh, a John Wiley publication, and was a speaker for many financial seminars through the, through the 1990s, including the highly prestigious Dow Jones Financial uh, Sym- Symposium Series, which was created by Tim Slater and the creator of Com- uh, CompuTrack, which was the first software application to draw commodity graphs and technical market indicators. Um, He's been a market analyst for well over 35 years. And since 2010, he's authored daily commentary and analysis on gold for Kitco News titled After Hours Hawaii 6.0. With us here today, calling out of Hawaii and the founder of the uh, goldforecast.com with us here today is Gary Wagner. Welcome to the New Gen Mindset Podcast. It's it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My introduction makes me feel old, though. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have been doing this for a while, unquestionably. But, but it's, it's what makes you a legend. Here. I don't know about that. In my own <laughs> mind, maybe. 
It's okay. Honestly, guys, from my perspective, I was called Gary the uh, the samurai, the, uh, the Hawaiian trader, because he's always referring to the Hawaiian background. He's got samurai swords in the background, and I, I mean, to us, you will you will become known as a legend. Don't worry, I promise that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Gary, let's start off by this. First, what we want to do is get to know you. So, how did you get into the investment world? How did you get into trading? Obviously, you didn't. You weren't born into this. You you weren't you weren't naturally you know involved in this. It was more a a, a spin that brought you down this path. Absolutely interesting question. I was a mediocre at best musician, but that's what I wanted to do. That and be an author for fiction and and some esoteric kind of uh, involvement. However, I moved from Michigan to California in 1983, and wisely, my mother said if. If you want to follow music, go ahead. But will you do me one favor? I said, sure. What's that? So just meet me with this one gentleman. I said, if that's all you want, yeah, consider that done. I walked into an office and saw about 50 commodity traders pacing at that time, amber screens filling the rows. And I realized these guys were gold and silver traders. And I got hooked immediately. I, I found it fascinating. I realized within the first couple of months, that I had no idea what I was doing and had no business making recommendations and telling people what they should or shouldn't do. Uh, my advice got them in more trouble than gave them value. So I realized that I either had to highly devote and figure out what it takes to be successful or switch my vocation. And luckily I spent the time and began by studying Western technical indicators I was fortunate enough to be mentored by a couple of the what I consider to be the legends. John Bollinger was the first. He, of course, invented Bollinger Bands. And he was the technical analysis manager at a small television station that I worked with with him called KY22 in California. These are the old days when they had UHF and VHF. And so this reached an audience potential probably a 10 or 20,000, maybe 50,000 people. In other words, a minute segment of the California audience. But nonetheless, I was able to spend a lot of time with him. And then later I was mentored by Larry Williams. Of course, he invented uh, the Williams Percent R. And I spent a couple of months with him during one of the uh, Dow Jones uh, symposiums because we would travel city to city through Europe. And... At that time, I was definitely the, the greenest of the bunch, the newest of any technical trader there. But the fact that my expertise was in candlesticks made it interesting that the, the, the real legends wanted to pick my mind because candlesticks were new to them and that was up and coming. It hadn't really been exposed to the Western trader. So I was really fortunate back in the 90s and the 2000s I continued my work, and by 2010, I published an article in Technical Analysis of Stocks and Commodities. You can see a reprint of it on my website, thegoldforecast.com, called The New Technical Triad, and it was a culmination of my work. First, I am a technical trader, but I'm a hybrid trader, <clears throat> meaning I absolutely believe, and we all know that it is fundamentals that drive price change in markets, not mathematics, not technical indicators. So I look at the fundamentals, the events in the market to determine a basic assumption of direction, market direction. 
but I find that if by purely going with fundamental events, you go back to the adage of uh, buy the rumor, sell the fact. In other words, it's too late to actually act on something once that news has hit uh, the public news wave. So I realized that the art of technical analysis provides us with great insight as to where to enter and exit once you've made the assumption, and most importantly, if that assumption is correct. So if you believe gold is going up or gold is going down, where do you actually buy or sell that commodity? And so that's kind of a, a 30 second elevator speech of my history. I want to just go back to the fact that you said, hey, like the intro is, you know, a little bit, you're, you think you're old. There's a lot of, for us younger guys, especially in the space to learn from gentlemen like yourself. And that's where the wisdom comes in. So I, I don't want you to ever discount that moving forward. But, you know, what we're seeing now, um, is there a period in history, Gary, uh, where you look back, you know, throughout your career and you do see that there's a similar parallel to what's happening. Now, obviously not the names of the companies, but we're talking about, you know, the behavior, the psychology, or any of the price action. Is there a period in time where you can compare what's happened in the last two years to the last, I don't know, maybe four, four or five decades? Absolutely. And I'm not going to talk about companies or commodities. I'm going to talk about economic frameworks. Whether we look at there's extreme volatility, and Nick put it concisely. I mean, we're seeing markets move based upon a scenario that we've, in this case, never really been faced with. And if we have been faced with it, it was due to completely different reasons. I'm talking about the high level of inflation. I remember back into the 80s, because that's when I first started my studies in being a commodity broker and CTA where we had inflation levels in the double digits, 12%, 15%, and interest rates were that high also. And so when, we, when you ask me, can I compare it to any other time, what I'm looking at is the immense amount of uncertainty and volatility. The scenarios were different. The news stories might've been driven with a different underlying cause, but have we seen extreme uh, volatility in the markets? Absolutely. Uh, Black Monday was the first time, and I had only been a, a broker at that point for a couple of years when I saw the stock market virtually melt down in front of my eyes, and I wasn't prepared for it. I, I didn't realize that when I thought the market, the, the sky was falling in, that was the time to start really uh, buying. In other words, there's an old adage, you buy when there's blood in the streets. There was blood in the streets. So I remember that vividly. Um, most recently, we have to look at uh, the 2008 and nine banking crisis that led to a recession. While we weren't dealing with inflationary pressures, we were dealing with uh, a crisis that involved a, a banking crisis where there were so many garbage loans out there, specifically mortgages, that it caused Lehman Brothers to fold. A lot of banks and lending institutions become insolvent. And so we have had times of extreme volatility. This particular time is unique in a lot of ways. <clears throat> we've got geopolitical uncertainty. We've had that before, but this is a unique circumstance just as those are. And at the same time, we've got incredible inflation that is due to things that we haven't seen before 
because inflation, because of supply chain bottlenecks, which is what began this whole steamrolling effect. It started with the pent up demand after the world lived through a global pandemic. And that's unique to my lifetime. I mean, that's an event I've never seen, but the outcome of it is not that unique. We've seen that happen before, but what happened is it spiraled into something much greater, which is what we're living through now. And that is the inability for the Federal Reserve to actually have any kind of real handle on what had been going on to the point where, and, and I put this in a letter that I wrote out to our premium subscribers last week, and they're hard words, but I believe they're true. And that is that currently the Federal Reserve is either living in a bubble, absolutely living in la-la fantasy land, or outright lying to the American public in terms of what they believe inflationary pressures have been, where they're going, and whether or not they can do anything to curtail them or bring it down. Absolutely. I would hate to think that they're lying to the public. And if they're not, it leaves us with those other two choices. Mm -hmm. They're living in a bubble or an absolute fantasy. And I kind of think it's a little bit of combination of all three. And that's what makes this scenario so unique. They're so far behind the eight ball. And the other thing is the national debt of the United States is so large. We've never had the trillions that we owe right now that the repercussions of them really hiking up rates to where they have to be to curtail inflation would make the United States debt unserviceable. In other words, it would cause the United States to go bankrupt and they're not going to let that happen. So can they raise rates to, if we've got inflation at 8.6%, that's the last CPI came out a little while ago, you've really got to raise rates to six, 7% to even try to tackle it. And typically, I look back historically where Nick and I met was at the uh, VRIC conference and I did a, a, uh, a speech there. And what I did is I historically looked back at high levels of inflation and what the Fed did to resolve it. And so I went back to 78 through 85 and that's when we had that double digit inflation and double digit interest rates. What was interesting is to combat it, they had to raise rates, interest rates higher than the inflation rate. So can you perceive that the Federal Reserve can or even has the ability on any sustained basis or even a short term basis to reduce uh, inflation by raising rates to, say, 9 percent? And how would they even accomplish that? Right now, the dilemma is, and I know this will be released a week after this occurs, but whether or not the Federal Reserve raises rates by a half a percent or three quarters of a percent. Now, Fed funds are currently at 1%. By the time this video is viewed, they might be another three quarters of a percent higher or a half a percent higher. In either case, it's under 2%. There are five remaining FOMC meetings. If they raise it 1%, which is unheard of, at each of the subsequent FOMC meetings, they would take the interest rate of Fed funds rate, which of course is the intra rate that banks charge each other to lend money overnight and determines all of the other interest rates, whether it's a two-year note, everything kind of floats off of that. Even if they raised it, say, for the next five FOMC meetings, which includes this month by a percentage time, 
they would take interest rates to 6%. Inflation is running at 8.6%. How much of a effect can you have? One, two, in former cases of dealing with inflation, what the Federal Reserve was tackling was they needed to, to contract the economy because of the demand. And it was the demand side that they had to change, not the supply side which is the primary reason the Federal Reserve, no matter how high jack rates up to 20%, it doesn't matter because inflation is running hot because of supply chain bottlenecks. You've got Russia and Ukraine and the invasion into Ukraine has set a whole lot of dominoes falling. Primarily, Russia is a primary global uh, energy producer. They produce 80 I think 80%, excuse me, 30% of the oil to the world. Now, the Europeans have boycotted it. Right now, they are continuing to sell. They're taking in about a billion a day, selling to India and China and some European Union countries. I believe Hungary is one of them. But the supply chain cannot be addressed by the Federal Reserve. Mm. That has to work itself out as a normal uh, function. In other words, it's going to eventually kind of untangle, but the Fed has no way to control the speed at which that happens. So by raising rates, they're not going to influence levels of inflation that are based upon supply chain issues. And so that's the primary problem we're facing. And in terms of the beginning of the question, uh, we have seen Ex levels of extreme volatility like we are experiencing, but never for the reasons that are currently in the fundamental environment that are causing them. So, so this is, this is new type of environment almost in terms of uncertainty, right? Absolutely. I mean, think of it uh, for most people, except for those who have hit my age group, they've never seen inflation at eight mm -hmm. or 9%. They don't know the craziness that occurs when inflation runs at 10 or 12%. It's absolute insanity. Um, and how that's dealt with is going to be a critical component of how globally we get through this. And so, yes, this is a unique scenario. Do you worry about the wealth effect impact from, let's say, let's say they decide to do get very aggressive with interest rates, although I, I doubt they can. Because then you have, let's say, for example, un unlike back in the 70s when you had the whole inflation crisis, you didn't have a massive housing bubble at the same time. Whereas in this scenario, you have a massive housing bubble that you force yourself to raise rates too much, where you destroy a whole the whole wealth effect and people will spend less as a result. And then on top of that, we also have the fact that unlike back then... Uh, well, yeah, at the same time, you didn't have this, this whole energy crisis going on and you didn't have the geopolitical tension and the bottlenecks. So it's like raising interest rates in this environment as much, I feel like it's political suicide just because they kind of induced this environment to happen to begin with over the last 10 years specifically. Absolutely. Um, it's a unique environment right now. And as such, it, 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 the challenges call for unique answers. Uh, mm. And the Federal Reserve isn't the, isn't the go-to uh, entity that we're, we need to look at for that. As I said, the supply chain issues, one, we need to globally get serious about putting pressure on Russia to withdraw their troops because that's causing 
a, a, a tremendous percentage of the pain that is globally being experienced. They are now burning wheat fields. They are now threatening the crops that have already, Ukraine is a tremendously large producer, the third, fifth, third, the fifth largest producer of corn. Russia is the third largest producer of wheat. Fertilizer too. Fertilizer yeah. too. So you've got a scenario where that geopolitical crisis, that invasion that um, against a sovereign country, and you've got a guy like Putin coming out last week uh, saying that he wants to mirror Peter the Great um, and take over other territories that are really Russian. I mean, the guy's making it up as he goes along. He's definitely, I won't say unstable, but he's a pit bull at least. He's not going to give up on anything, even if he knows he's wrong because of that ego. And that's the one of the greatest crises we really need to tackle to begin the unraveling process of the supply chain issues. We have issues in China, which are beginning to work themselves out. They locked down a bunch of cities because of their zero COVID policy leading to massive COVID outbreaks. And so they just basically locked people up in their homes. And that's kind of unraveling right now. The entire problems from the supply chain issues stem from the pandemic, which for the most part is getting into a tail end and the beginning of whatever the new normal will be. I don't think uh, we'll ever actually get rid of this virus. I think it will become manageable, it just as smallpox and measles became manageable. We have an effective vaccine, although I don't want to talk too much on that because that will send out an army of trolls against me. Um, <laughs> but because there, there is no vaccine that's safe, we know that. Right. Um, but, but the key is, is that we have unique problems that call for unique solutions. And the solutions aren't the Federal Reserve raising rates. Mm -hmm. They're understanding what's at the root cause, what they can actually work to change, and what they have to have the patience to let naturally run through its cycle. The only artificial pain is the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. In other words, if Russian troops were in Ukraine and their oil production was normal as it was before the war, and the agricultural products of Russia and Ukraine were going out to their, their exports were continuing at the pace they were pre-invasion time, we wouldn't be in the scenario as deeply as we are. The other part is that after the pandemic, you, have, you had to rebuild the workforces. Uh, in America, there's, there's two jobs for every unemployed individual mm -hmm. who wants one, so people aren't going back to work, and those mm -hmm. who are, are being a lot more choosy as to what they're going to do. So you've got tremendous challenges of filling the labor market, which is a big part of the solution of the supply chain issues and basic logistics and, and shipping lines and things of that nature. And those will all unravel over time naturally. The one thing that we can do to address it more than anything else is to address what's going on in Ukraine right now because if that was out of this equation, we, weren't, we would not be in the type of serious dilemma that we are in. The longer that goes on and the longer that we aren't putting more attention to that, 
the more unrealistic we're becoming about what it takes to solve the current crisis we're in. We have to look at why we're facing this crisis, what are the root causes, and what need what changes need to be implemented to actually have a real impact on inflation. And just raising rates is not the solution. What kind of variable, like, let's stick to the Ukraine issue right now. In terms of agricultural commodities, what are some of the commodities that you yourself are looking at that you're that you're worried about that might end up spiking or going way too high and causing a massive rippling effect into the food supply chain and to possible uh, food shortages. Are yeah, there any of those type be, of risks that you're seeing? Yeah, you might want to ask me what 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 uh, grains I personally believe is is best to go long in. Um, <laughs> it's the same question: corn and wheat, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I've been a proponent of that for the last year. On top of what we've spoken about, about agricultural shortages because of Russia and Ukraine as being a major supplier, we have unique environmental conditions in the United States that have led to droughts, uh, Mm -hmm. massive amounts of rain, in other words, unfavorable um, conditions to put seeds in the ground and harvest crops at the end of that cycle. And that's climate change. And that's absolutely impacting uh, the breadbasket of this world, which has historically been America, uh, producing the bulk of the corn and the wheat that are produced for exports around the world. So we've got weather issues here that are lessening the likelihood of robust crops. You've got the problems that we've been talking about. And the, the sad news is it's going to be the developing countries in, in Africa that, that are most impacted by this and the, and the children and the families that need grains and foods the most that are gonna be lo- the, 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 the greatest impact and the most, the, the, the parts of our civilization get hurt the most. Um, and that saddens me deeply. I would, you, we have to look at the primary, because meat is byproduct of feeding them, whether it's soy, soy meal, oats, wheat or corn, it's all grain-based and that leads us to the price of chicken, poultry, meat, beef, and fish. Fish is a different thing, but all of these things are interconnected. The world is globally interconnected and we have serious issues that are gonna require serious answers. And those answers are not simply going to be based on what the Federal Reserve does and how much they raise interest rates. And that's the dilemma I think we're facing. And that's the hard truth that Americans, Canadians, all of us in North America, all of us globally Mm -hmm. need to understand, need to face and need to pressure our, our governments independently whether it's peaceful protests or I I don't know what the answer is. I do know what the challenges are. And that's clear. A lot of economists and analysts see the writing on the wall. It's a matter of it affecting or impacting a large enough portion of the global population that we pressure the proper institutions to become part of the solution rather than the problem. 
There's uh you know there's there's a bit of a gap right now too uh, in the market that again unfortunately is not being looked at at all um, and that's like you said you know the shortages in the world um, that you know the 30 year mortgage rate as well is another example of something that just keeps creeping up higher you know so when I when I was talking to Nick earlier I was just like I would not be surprised you know if inflation runs to double digits. Um, and we're, we're here talking about possibility of a food crisis. Cause that's literally what this sounds like. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to scare the listeners, but listen, this is just the reality of the situation. So historically, when there's been these types of shortages, right? The only means and, and high inflation, of course, the only means that a certain portion of the population, unfortunately turns to is, is, is being violent, right? So do you fear and do you think that within the next 12 to 18 months we are going to see something similar to what we saw in 2020 but at a much bigger scale if that makes sense yeah no you don't want to know what my fears are um (laughs) because the implications are profound uh Mm. and they stem from the invasion of russia into ukraine and how russia has threatened to use unheard of tactics if Europe or America Mm -hmm. becomes more aggressive with defending Ukraine and the ultimate commitment of the Ukrainian people to remain an independent country means either, I don't know what it means, but the outcomes, there's, there's three possible outcomes and none of them are really uh, ones that I'd be comfortable with. In other words, No, sorry. I was just saying, would you add the scenario of fear of uh, Taiwan and China into that mix as well? I think that that's a a minor component um, that could escalate into Mm -hmm. a a big problem. But I don't think that that's at least I've got enough to worry about with the genuine real problems that are facing Mm -hmm. the the global community now, rather than speculating on what happens if another small independent country that was once dominated by a uh, another country wants to retake that power. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we've got to solve the issues that we have. The primary issues of inflation, what do they stem from? They stem from two basic things, and that is supply chain bottlenecks, really one central theme, supply chain bottlenecks that stem from two primary forces. One is the pandemic unfolding, hitting ahead, and then now creating all of these logistical problems and workplace uh, shortages. The second issue is Russia and Ukraine. Both of them together have, is the outcome of that is what has created the, the economic environment that we live in. Can we go to double digit inflation and double digit interest rates was one thing you pondered. I do not think the United States with what, 30 trillion plus dollars of national debt can service that debt at 7% or 6% or 10% for any length of time longer than an extremely short duration, months, half a year, possibly. What would happen if the interest rates go so high that the just to pay the interest on the national debt becomes challenging to the United States. That that will keep a cap on what the Federal Reserve does because 
they're not going to do something that affects the Treasury's department ability to service national debt. The one what thing are, is that that has remained strong about the United States over 200 years is they've always paid their debts. Mm -hmm. And if that were to change, that would add a new uh, ripple or tear in the fabric of, of our economic uh, scenario mm -hmm. that could cause dramatic effects. I'm going to remain optimistic because believe it or not, I'm an optimist at heart facing a very dire scenario out mm -hmm. there. I think at some point, the realization is going to be that Russia cannot continue to do what they're doing. They're, they're killing civilians. They're, they're now burning wheat fields and supplies so that Africa doesn't get the export grains they need. And at some point that will cause such civil unrest and, mm -hmm. and civil, um, the, the, the global civilians will stand up mm -hmm. and go, this, we, we won't take this. And my fear is that what will be the outcome of that position? And that could lead to an escalation of a conflict between Russia and one country to bring in a lot more countries. And we call that a world war and that's mm -hmm. unthinkable. And so that's what we have to avoid. And at the same time, get the Russians to back off of Ukraine. And that dilemma is the ultimate dilemma we face that needs to be addressed and solved within the next couple of years. Otherwise, these doomsday scenarios could slowly come into impact. But I, as I said, I'm an optimist. And my belief is that somehow, and I don't know how, because I can't give you the solution, but somehow these things will unwind in the least violent of ways. And we will return to some, some level of peace in the world and some level of the understanding that every human being on, on the face of this planet could be fed. And what's keeping that from happening is logistics and greed and not the inability for global producers of agriculture and food products to, to produce them and supply them. And at some point, that's the dramatic shift that has to happen. Yeah, there's too many barriers everywhere. And the more things get chaotic, the more barriers get put up, the more control gets implemented because you got to mitigate these these geopolitical forces. So governments become more overbearing and then, and then it has kind of like a rippling effect that the people at the exterior means kind of suffer the greatest consequence because of these big forces playing their games. But in this, I want to ask you is what, like, what are you trading right now? What do you see as opportunities? Like, which side of the market are you on? Short term, nothing. Um, short term until the dust settles on how the Federal Reserve is going to act uh, at the last FOMC meeting, which will be the one that happens tomorrow as of this mm -hmm. recording, but the one that happened last week in terms of the release date. Mm -hmm. There's another one in June. We have five, four more after the June FOMC meeting. It's going to be where inflation is three months from now and how the Federal Reserve has been addressing it. But more importantly, over the next three months, what supply chain issues act actually begin to naturally subside? Because the logistics over shipping products out of China, that's already beginning to unwind. The ports are are able to actually take in a lot more cargo and ship them out. Of course, those 
ships as well as the trucks to take them cross country or into different countries in Europe or, or North America run on petrol and petrol at $118 a barrel, which is where it's at as of the time of this recording is not sustainable mm. at least to do it economically feasibly. So those are the issues that we face. One of the more important things too is um, obviously tomorrow or the day, you know, when this recording gets announced last week, whatever the Fed decides to do, we think it's most likely, like Nick said, it's probably going to be at least a 50 basis point hike, 75 basis point hike. Um, yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do in this market, right? And if you're an optimist as well, you believe that with, with time, uh, you know, the U.S. and Canada as well are going to survive this. There's no question about that. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course, North America. Of course, we will survive this. I am an optimist. If And I told you, short term, I'm not comfortable in, in equities. I'm not comfortable even in gold. About the only safe bet is the dollar. May, medium and long term is a real question. I like gold. I like gold from the long side a lot because I think that fiat currencies cannot become stronger intrinsically by the nature of what they are. And that's a, a piece of paper that's used to barter with, that's not backed by any real asset. I mean, I don't care if the asset's gold or cattle or uh, barbells, it doesn't matter, but it's backed on the faith of the government. And I talked about where that faith could definitely diminish Mm-hmm. If our debt becomes so large that we're not paying interest on it, and what mm-hmm. would that do to the dollar? And what would that do to economic scenarios? I like gold as an investment. I think that the grains will, they'll, they'll have peaks and valleys. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be a linear rise. It's not going to be a parabolic move that never ends. There'll be cycles within what I'm saying. But long-term, the grains offer a tremendous value. Once we get out of a scenario of geopolitical uncertainty and go to rebuilding, uh, the wars ended in Ukraine, economies are rebuilding from the pandemic uh, and repairing the damage that they've done after in Ukraine after they have absolutely leveled 25% of that country. Copper is something you'll want to look at, another steel, things that are used to rebuild economies. Right now, we have to focus on possible threats to economic stability, and that leads me into gold. Mm. Ultimately, we have to look in the future that we're going to see rises in grains and gold. And then at some point, things will unwind to a point where we go into a a process of rebuilding. And at that point, you want to look at steel and copper and things and, and green energy, solar power, which uses a lot of silver and things of that nature. So where are we in the cycle? And the cycle right now, we are still in a period of uncertainty. When will that end? I wish I knew. What do we do until that ends? You want to look at gold. You want to look at grains. What do we do when that ends? You want to look at um, commodities that are integral parts of rebuilding those things that have been torn down, so to speak, which is infrastructure in the United States, requires steel and copper, rebuilding of Ukraine, infrastructure in Europe, which is nowhere near the condition of the US. Uh, those are things you want to look at long term. I want to I want to just I know because we're, we're, we're short on time here, but I just want to ask you one simple question, um, you know, going into this craziness, you know, for younger investors, particularly Gen Z's and millennials, who are trying to understand what's ultimately 
happening right now. What's your advice to them? Find a, a money manager, whether it's, it's someone that your parents or your uncle or your aunts or your older brothers or sisters have used that have produced reliable, consistent uh, gains in portfolio values in times of severe downturns in the economy have provided uh, the ability to protect those portfolios. Not necessarily, you don't have to gain, you just got to protect. Um, and then look to them for advice. In other words, get advice from those family members that have met up with people that have been good stewards of handling their money, first thing. Second thing is study the basic parts of economy you need to study. Realize that no matter what you invest in, you want to have a diversified portfolio. You want to put your money in things that you understand and know. Uh, the cryptocurrency craze right now, we've seen these tremendous peaks and valleys. And I believe that blockchain is a technology that will be provide tremendous changes in the next 20, 40, 50 years. Cryptocurrencies themselves right now, it is Bitcoin and Ethereum, but the ones that go underneath it, the hundreds that are underneath it, my opinion is the majority of them will not sustain the test of time. Realize if you're involved in them that you are basically speculating and I'm being polite, you're gambling. Um, <laughs> In terms of cryptocurrencies, I think that they have a place because eventually, unquestionably, and I don't know when, but we won't carry paper money in our pockets. I mean, I stopped doing that years ago. Everything I do is digital, but it's it's through the, the accepted routes right now, which are uh, lines of credit, debit, credit cards, things of that nature. But I typically don't go into a, into a supermarket or a store or anything and hand them physical dollars. And at some point, that will be harder and harder to actually have, and it will go digital. The problem will be the countries uh, that you live in will want control over how you spend them and getting money that they are taxing you on them, yeah. which means that they'll have to take out the an an anonymity that is intrinsic to uh, the blockchain, the way it's been developed in Bitcoin uh, or Ethereum to some degree. And so that will have to be addressed. And there will be cryptos that come out of this 20 years down the road. But over the next five or 10 years, there's an opportunity to make a lot of money, but there's an opportunity to have that money at, at a high risk. My suggestion is put two to five, two to 10% of your portfolio into the cryptos, not 50%. Funny, it's all about it's all about risk management, right? At the end of the day, at, at the end of the day, it always has been and always will be about risk yep. management. Yes, mm -hmm. it's a great way to end. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Well, Gary, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can the listeners find you and uh, and the rest of your work online? Uh, sure. Well, every day you can go to uh, kitco.com and at six o'clock Eastern Daylight Time now and Eastern Standard Time when. When you guys change your clocks here in Hawaii, we never do. Paradise doesn't move a clock up and down by an hour. <laughs> um, but by six noon in New York, that's available. There's no charge for that. We have a YouTube channel, The Gold Forecast. And of course, our premium channel, which is thegoldforecast.com. You can go, you can sign up for our free newsletter 
or if you like our service and feel that there's value to it, uh, become a premium subscriber. And awesome. also, for those that are interested in cryptocurrencies, on the goldforecast.com forward slash crypto or forward slash Bitcoin, you can read uh, Joseph Wagner's uh, daily articles as well as get his trade recommendations on cryptocurrencies. And that's available to you now at no charge before it'll be a while, but not that long until he monetizes it. So mm -hmm. this is a great chance to get on board. At, with a great analyst, of course, I'm mm -hmm. extremely biased. He is my son, <laughs> but, but with a great analyst about cryptocurrencies. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Gary, we're going to have to get your son on eventually to talk about yeah, the for cryptos sure. when they do, when they do come up. But listen, I know this was short and sweet. We really appreciate your time. Uh, keep up the great work. I read your Kitco stuff pretty much every week now since we met back in Vancouver. And uh, we look forward to, to seeing you at future events here down the road as we, we get out of this period of uncertainty. Thanks for having me. And uh, of course. it was great to be here today. Awesome. Thanks. Gary. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time on the New Gen Mindset Podcast.